So it's that time again. It's time to break out the uh, familiar seasonal Christian cliches. You know, keep Christ in Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. And there's nothing wrong with those statements. Those are good statements. They can be good reminders for us to be intentional uh, about you know, our focus in the midst of what is always a very chaotic and heavily commercialized holiday. Uh, so those are, those are good things. But like so many things that we quickly rattle off or affirm, uh, sometimes we say those things without really thinking about what we're saying or why those things are said. So I think it's important with those kinds of phrases to stop and to consider why. Why should we keep Christ in all that we do at Christmas time? Why should we keep Him at the front and the center? Why should we keep Him as the focal point? Why is Jesus the reason? Why should He be the reason for this season and every season? Why, why is He worthy of being the reason that we do everything that we do? So often, we can just go through the motions and you know we do the same things year after year. And as Christians, we say the same things week after week. We do the same rituals and exercises. And if we're not careful, we can become numb to the wonder. We can become numb to really, for lack of better term, and I think it fits for the magic of, I mean, the real magic of what it means to focus on what we focus on and celebrate what we celebrate. So that's what we're going to do in this series, The Christ of Christmas. We're going to stop And we're going to ask ourselves a very important question. Who is He? Who is the Christ of Christmas that we so easily uh, say, readily say, keep Christ in Christmas. He's the reason for the season. Who is He really? We're going to remember that. We're going to remind ourselves of that. Or perhaps, maybe for you, it will be the first time that you really hear that that you really explore that. Who is this Christ of Christmas? And to start off in this series, the first answer to that question, who is He? Who is this Christ of Christmas? The first area that we're going to focus on is the fact that He's the eternal Son. He is the eternal Son. What we celebrate at Christmas and as we look back and we see the baby in the manger and we, we talk about the, the birthday of Jesus, that Christmas is the birthday of Jesus and you know the birth of God's Son, it, it, all that is true, but we need to understand something very, very important. That that is not when Jesus began. It's not when Jesus began. In fact, as we're going to see, He didn't begin at all. He always was. Very important to understand that. With that in mind, I would invite you to look with me at John 1, 1 through 1-3. And I'll be reading from the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. Here's what God's Word says. In the beginning was 
the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things, all things came into being through Him, through the Word, who was with God and who was God, who was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. This mysterious statement, the Word uh, that John introduces, it it would have been readily recognized by his readers, logos. It's the Greek word. And it means all reason, all awareness, all thought, all reality, uh, the expression or explanation or communication of all that can be known. And so what John is saying here is, this word was, was the complete explanation and the complete communication and the, the self-expression of all that God is and that He was. But it wasn't just like this inanimate thing, this, this intellectual thing. This word, this expression, this communication and revelation of all that is God was a person. It was active. And he was in fellowship with God the Father. And what God the Father was, all that that God the Father was in His attributes and His character and His ability, in other words, all that makes God God, His Godness, if you will, that was true of and contained in this Word. The Word was with God, So he was in harmony and in fellowship with God the Father and a a revelation and an expression of all that he is. And he himself, this word, was what God the Father was. And you you see this distinction right away. This does not say that, that who God the Father is is who the Word is. They're They're separate persons but they're one being. They're one God. And through the Word, who was also God, God the Father created everything through Him. And as we look further into God's Word in the New Testament, we see this explained even even in more detail. Colossians 1, Paul says, this is who Jesus is. That Jesus is the one who in the beginning the Father created everything through. And that all the fullness of the, the deity that God is dwelt in Jesus completely. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of all of God's nature. The radiance of His glory. That's what the Word is. That's what it means that, that the Word was with God and were, the Word was God. And that He was in the beginning with God means when the beginning, what we know as the beginning of all life and all time, when all that began, like think Genesis 
when that began, the Word was already there. He didn't have a beginning. He was already existing and had been for all of eternity. So this Word, as John calls Him, was and is Jesus. He is the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, eternally existing. Everything that God the Father is, He is. He is not God the Father. He is separate from God the Father. He is His own person, but He is everything that God the Father is, along with God the Holy Spirit. That's the mystery of the Trinity. Three divine persons, one God, sharing equally in all of the divine nature, all of the divine power, all the divine attributes, working completely in harmony together within the one Godhead. So this incredible mystery is revealed as being Jesus, the Word. That's who Jesus is from John 1, 1 through 3, the eternal Son. And so what that means, let me just put that very, very simply, bringing it into light to Christmas and all that we celebrate there. What this shows us is that before Jesus was the baby in the manger, He was the universe's Creator. I'm going to say that again. Before Jesus was the baby in the manger, He was the universe's Creator. And I want you just to sit with that for a minute. If you were the Creator of all life, would you be willing to take on to yourself something that you created with all of its limitations, all of its uh, being prone to weakness and sickness and pain and affliction that the human body is? If you were the Creator of all the galaxies all the solar systems, all the atoms and the molecules, every part of life from one corner of the universe to the other, if you created all that, would you ever be willing to put yourself so low as to occupy something so small and insignificant compared to the rest of the universe as a human being? Would you be willing to do that, ever? No, of course not. You wouldn't. Neither would I. And yet that's exactly, as we'll see in just a minute, what this mighty Word, who the Father, God the Father, created everything through, and who was with the Father in complete, perfect unison, all that the Father was, He is, which means Almighty God, He who created all things, was still willing to become a human. And not just, not just a human, a human baby. You don't get any more weak and helpless and needy than a human baby. And He lowered Himself to that point. But before He was the baby in the manger, He was the universe's Creator. He was already the eternal Son of God. In 1995, 
there was a really, really popular song by Joan Osborne, and it was, it was called One of Us. Um, maybe some of you remember that song. And the main point of the song and the chorus, she, she says, what if God was one of us? And she goes on and elaborates on that, but that's the main question. What if God was one of us? What if God had a name? Would you, would you call it to his face when you were faced with all of his glory? And so she asked these questions. And the whole song is about that. What if, what if, what if? What if God was one of us? What would he be like? What would that mean? What would that look like? What would he be like? What would that mean for us? Well, the really good news is that we don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder what, what if. What would that be like if God was actually one of us? Because we actually have the answer to that. We have the answer here in this same passage. If you look down at verse 14, still in John 1, John says this, after talking about this word that he was in the beginning already existing, that through him all things were made, that he is very God. What God the Father is and what is true of him is true of the word. And then he says this, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's literally tabernacled among us. Think of uh, the wilderness wanderings of of Israel after they left Egypt and they set up the tabernacle and and, uh, God would, His presence and His glory would come and dwell there and they would sacrifice to Him there. And it was the meeting place uh, where God's presence came down. But then, and and then all the way through the temple, only one time a year could one person, the the high priest, the representative of all the people, only then, one time a year on the Day of Atonement, could someone go into the presence of the Holy of Holies where God's glory was and commune with them and, and actually experience God's presence in a personal way. Well, that all changed around what we call and what we celebrate as Christmas. Verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we, John says, we, meaning the disciples and others with him, around them and all that encountered Jesus, we beheld, that's literally we gazed at, we gazed at His glory. Glory as of the only begotten, that really means the unique one, the one and only, from the Father, sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 18 of this same passage, uh, he says, no one has seen God, that's the Father, at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, that's Jesus, He has explained Him. And that's what the Word does. It's what your words do. They, they explain your thoughts, right? I'm, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm explaining the thoughts that I have. I'm communicating to you uh, what I'm trying to express and convey and what I want you to take away. That's what the eternal, the divine, the almighty Word does of the Father. 
because no one has ever seen the Father. No one can. Scripture is very clear on that over and over again that if anyone would see God the Father, he would be killed instantly. And yet, God made this way, this incredible, mysterious, magnificent way that all that He is, all of His character, all of His glory, all of His goodness would be contained and revealed and fully expressed in a person. In Jesus, who had already existed for all of eternity as the Word of God. Isn't that astounding and that's what we celebrate at christmas that's what christmas really means physicist robert oppenheimer who developed the atomic bombs that the us dropped on japan in world world war 2 said the best way to send information is to wrap it up in a person. That's what happened with the incarnation of Jesus. That's what we just read. God the Father sent the full, not just a a partial or a piece of revelation about Himself. He sent the full, complete revelation of all that He is wrapped up in a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in an animal's feeding trough. (laughs) Who else but this God would do that? No other religion in the world claims that. That's what one, one of many, many things that sets apart Christianity, biblical Christianity, from any other religion or philosophy in the world. No other religious system makes such a claim that their God would ever be willing or ever did anything like this. That He would be willing to lower Himself to this degree, to this point. All to reveal Himself in such a personal way to His creation. To rescue His creation. To redeem His creation. Only God did this. No other royal power or world's power would ever be willing to leave their throne and their position of power and glory and honor and lower themselves to the degree that the King of Heaven did. And He did it for you. And He did it for me. Isaiah 7.14 uh, was the prophecy that John 1.14 fulfilled completely and directly. Uh, it had been announced, it had been proclaimed that God was going to do this. That God wasn't going to leave His people in darkness. He wasn't going to remain distant. He wasn't going to keep the, the sacrificial temple system in place just forever. Where only one time a year... One person could come in and experience the presence and the glory of God in a personal way. He promised that that would change. That there was a plan. And Isaiah 7.14 is one of many such promises. 
Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. God with us. John 1.14 said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. To direct fulfillment. And I want you now to see how Jesus and the, the person, the man, Jesus, the human that we celebrate at Christmas time, the one born as a human baby, supernaturally born, miraculously born, but born a literal human being, that that baby, the person that baby was, didn't just come on the scene in that manger. I want you to really grasp this. This is so important because so many people are even ready to celebrate the baby in the manger and, and focus on, on Him and, and talk about Him without giving the proper worship due Him and understanding that He had existed for all of eternity before Bethlehem. So I want you to, to grasp and see that this baby born on what we call Christmas Day was the person that had been prophesied and promised and had indeed existed and had already revealed Himself many, many times to people centuries before. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 1-6, through 6, we read this, Now Moses, Moses had fled Egypt. He had killed the, the Egyptian. Pharaoh heard about it. He was trying to kill him. He fled away. And we pick up years, years later, God's Word says this, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of Yahweh, or in your translation, the angel of the Lord. This is not just any angel. This is not just a normal angel. This is not Gabriel. This is not Michael. This is not even an angel in, in itself as, as what the other angels are. This is something more, something greater. This being is superior. He is a direct revelation and appearance, a manifestation of God Himself. So, and the angel of Yahweh appeared to him, to Moses, in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he, Moses, looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. In our, what we might say is, well, looky there. How about that? I, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why is the bush not burned up? And Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look. So God, see the connection? The angel of Yahweh, who is Yahweh, and then it just says, so God, clears it up really nicely for us. So God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. 
And then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. By the way, this same person, the angel of Yahweh, appeared to Abraham, told him he was going to have Isaac, told him about Sodom and Gomorrah, He appeared to Isaac. He appeared to Jacob. He wrestled with Jacob. I mean, he wrestled with Jacob. Same person. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, who he changed the name of to Israel. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God, as had been all the other people that this mysterious, magnificent, second person of the Trinity had appeared to. That was their reaction as well. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I'm going to have you jump to verse 13 with me, and and that's where I'm going to read next. This is after some more conversation takes place, and after God tells Moses, I'm going to send you to Egypt. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and I'm going to use you to free my people. I've heard their cries. I'm going to deliver them, and you're the one I'm going to use to do it, Moses. And Moses is like, uh, uh, who, me? Yep, you. So after that's After that has transpired, verse 13 says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am about to come to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will say to me, What is his name? Like, oh, really? He's the God of our fathers, huh? Okay. What is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh. There's the name. The personal name of God. Yahweh, the God of your fathers the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name from generation to generation. As amazing as it was for God to reveal His personal name to Moses there, it was revealed in an even more amazing way in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to reveal all that God is. And He carried in Himself and contained Himself and had Himself the very name Yahweh. He was completely one with Yahweh of the Old Testament. He was the same one. The the man walking the streets of Jerusalem, walking around Galilee, was the very same person, divine person, contained in human flesh, incarnated, that had appeared to Moses. And before Him, 
to Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. How do we know this? Well, there's many passages that point to that and make it clear. One of the most clear is what's found in John chapter 8. The whole chapter is great, and uh, there's this incredible, very interesting dialogue that takes place between Jesus and the religious leaders, you know, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and they say, where did you come from? Where do you get this authority to say the things you're saying and to do the things you're doing? Who are you really? Where, who do you think you are? Where, what's, your, what's your real genealogy? What's your backstory? And it goes on and on in, in that fashion. And then in verse 56 of John 8, Jesus says this, because they were very quick to pull out the we're sons of Abraham card. Like, hey, I don't know who you think you are, but we're sons of Abraham. <laughs> we're, you, you better take us seriously. We're sons of Abraham, buddy. He says this, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And here's the, I I just get chills. I, I can barely even. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, friends, this this is holy ground. Before Abraham was, I am. And if you're wondering, did they really understand the implication of that? Verse 59 says, Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. Because they knew what he was saying. He was saying, I am God. What you're seeing in front of you is the one who made you. What you're t- who, the person you're talking to and, and grilling and, and um, questioning and, and doubting is the very God who spoke all of life into existence. The I am the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the one that that you can't even write the name of in your scrolls. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at Him because of what they perceived as blasphemy. And this wasn't the only time. But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. Later, fast forward to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and life, right before He went to the cross when He was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, when all the the Jewish leaders came with their temple guards and they came to arrest Him, Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And He said, I am He. When He said that, they fell backwards. The force and the power of the name hit them and they fell back. Jesus is the very same being and divine person that appeared to Moses in that burning bush and that appeared to his father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Very God. Manifest. Dwelling now. 
among men. What does all this mean for us? What does this, what does this uh, connect with in Christmas? What does all this have to do with our Christmas celebrations? Here's the takeaway that I want you to, to have and to keep. As you sing your Christmas songs, as you go through your Christmas parties, as you give the gifts and all of that, and then let that carry beyond December 25th, Christmas is about the eternal Son of God becoming one of us, bringing God to us. We couldn't get to God. Nothing we could do could bring us to God. So God, in His unbelievable and yet absolutely necessary to believe, mercy and grace, chose to bring Himself to us. And He did it in the most unlikely way, becoming one of us.